Why do you want to use it for next week when we can clearly record you having an overly emotional experience about the event that we're going to? <laughs> So, Luke, why was tonight a thing, a whole thing? It was just a thing. Um, okay, so me and Aaron had a little bit of a spousal disagreement. Not, not surprising. Go on. <laughs> Especially with me. And uh, so I thought she was, like, staying back at this thing that we were at because she was, she was angry at me, but she wasn't. But then we had to hash through, like, because I left going, hey, baby, I got to go. I have to go and podcast. Gomer's waiting. And it turns out you were waiting or we're not waiting. I don't know. It's fine either way. Um, and then we were on the phone. I was like, well, he'll just call or, or text me when he's ready. Because, like, on the app, it, didn't, it said you were offline. So I was like, mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had to kind of, like, hash it out for about an hour. And it was good. It, was being, it, being, it ended up being very, very good. But uh, And then we were at a net. Uh, we were at a um, – I don't have to remember what they call it. We were at a banquet, I guess, if you will for net for net ministries that was great and i was able to talk very like very very i mean I had like a 20 second interaction with a girl who was on a net team there who almost listens to the podcast so hello whoever you are and uh yeah it was, it was good it just uh man i uh i was just i miss doing i don't know um i, I had some stuff that i wanted to talk about tonight but if you really would just rather like we wait we can no, man, that's fine. I'm down. Okay. I'm awake right now. Barely. <laughs> I was watching a um uh a comedy show and uh or a, you know, comedy special. So you got me. You caught me on my phone. I looked at my phone. And I was like, "Oh, send a voicemail." And I was like, "Oh, Luke. Oh, and he's calling via Skype. Oh, maybe he wants to do the show. I just want to curl up into a ball and drink myself into oblivion." I mean, drink water. Uh, we are broken men, and hallelujah is our song. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> so uh, tonight, man. So, do you ever feel? How do I put this? I love working in ministry. For as much as I complain about things, I really do. I really enjoy it when you have like you just in, you're like in that moment, and you're just like with the people, and you're and you're doing it. It's it's awesome, and. It's kind of tough now because we're at a point where our podcast is if if we're known for anything but being honest and talking about our about our lives and what's going on. But like, what happens when the podcast becomes such a big part of that? Is it turns to this, we're like it turns into this weird meta thing that I don't like sometimes because it just feels very like oh the podcast, but you know like we're so we're doing our podcast about our podcast, which is just weird. But I don't know how to really express this without trying to use the podcast as an example. So I just want, um, I just want to preface everything like with that, that when I talk about the podcast, I don't mean to do it in terms of like this, like meta way, just as the example that's on my heart. So, um, the, I think one of the hardest parts about ministry and just about like anything you do is when you're so disconnected from the fruit of it or the results, it can feel just, it's, it's, that's tough. That's really, really tough. And I was, and during the banquet I was at tonight, the two uh, net teams that were there did this beautiful little, uh, I don't know if I really call it a skit, but I guess it's a skit. And it was just like really kind of powerful. And I'm usually kind of down on those on those kinds of skits. Not like, I think like I think that they do the best job of it, just them in general. And I was just like, well, I envy those kids because they can do like, they can like see the looks on like 
the people's like faces, you know, and today I spent three hours just trying to, uh, what's the right word? Just trying to like, just do, I was just doing three hours doing paperwork pretty much. And it, and it's just so like, you just feel so disconnected from the people and with, and with the podcast as well. At times I just feel like I, it's just, I, I, I feel like, is this even a thing? Is this really as big of a deal or is this even like a thing? Is it just like a weird hobby that I have and people just kind of listen? Because I feel like for the bulk of it, I don't see people's inner like. It's just so it's so tough when you don't see the fruit of your work. You don't see it on the people's own faces, and and and, and we have in the past. It's, I think it's it's just kind of been a while, and it's tough because I feel like I need that a little bit, and it's hard, man. That's where like fear. That's where fear really paralyzes me in those moments everything you said is why i'm not in diocesan work like i have uh, a lot of appreciation and admiration for people who work in the diocese because in and, and i'm not saying this in terms of everyone at my diocese i've experienced this but many i have where they are desk jockeys they like I remember meeting a guy in the office of youth ministry, and this is kind of dangerous for me saying this, but I don't whatever, I'll just say it. There was an individual in the office of youth ministry who expressed to me personally many times how how annoyed he is with high school youth. Now, I express to my high school youth minister, Mr. Jonathan, all the time how much annoyed I am at high school youth. <laughs> but you know what? I'm not a high school youth minister, mm-hmm. and I'm not responsible for high school youth ministers. Now, you can tell yourself when you work in a diocesan office that you are not responsible directly for high school youth. You're instead responsible for the adults who are responsible. Here's the deal of why that is total BS is you have to have a heart for high school youth to help form people who are forming high school youth. And I see that as one of the biggest problems in diocesan bureaucracies. I mean, I do consulting work on the side for diocese and stuff like that. And parishes will call me up and we'll talk about evangelization and stuff like that. And, uh, and they'll say, like this one guy said, I don't have, uh, literally the office is called the office for the new evangelization. And I want them to change the name to the office of no evangelization. And I can totally feel that in so many places because like, what does evangelization mean to people? It means nothing. It means programs. It does not mean people with people. And like, I, I, you know, we were thinking, we were talking in our parish today, and it's like, what the, what the Lord needs most from us parish workers is not more programs. But most people don't know how to think. I remember there was a time I did not know how to think outside of programs. And the whole notion is the programs lead you to people. They're just opportunities to be with people. And to open up the scriptures, like those are the two most important things you can do. And obviously the sacraments, but I don't give those. Um, the encounter, <laughs> all this stuff with people, like it, it drives me insane. It's like we do all these service projects, but we don't meet the object of our service project, namely the poor, the naked, the lonely, the hospitalized, the U.S. troops overseas. We don't ever meet them. We just do these anonymous, abstracted things. And I think it's killing our our ministry. I think it's killing our diocesan people. So I had a diocese call me and offer me a job, or at least uh, they asked me if I would apply. And I was like, no, like there's no life there. Like, no, no, we do all sorts. I was like, I'm not an event planner. I'm not an event planner. I wouldn't be good in a diocesan setting 
where I'm no longer with the youth. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't do that. And then they, and then had a young adult position that was tempting, uh, tempting me, floating my way. And I'm like, no, I'm with people now. I'm, I'm doing the thing I love. I'm teaching, I'm preaching, and I'm with people. I'm with inmates. Like I would never have these opportunities anywhere mm-hmm. else. And so, yeah, man, God, I mean, we, you know what you need to do, Luke, whenever you get really bummed out is you need to go back to our episode with Lisa Brenningmeyer, uh, who does the yeah. uh, women's walking with purpose and just listen to how she affirmed the shit out of you <laughs> and the heaven in yeah, you but it still for like sucks the first ass. 10 minutes. Like, I mean, I, I get it. I'm like, yeah, great. Thanks. But like this, like, I'll be real. Why? Like, Cause it's just like, I mean, uh, be super careful, Luke. Um, yeah, how about not say f- <laughs> <laughs> Can you beep that out? I mean, no, I really did appreciate her words. Those people always just have my deepest admiration because there is such a sacrificing, you know, element of that when really you'd rather be at the heart of it and see, you know, see the faces lighting up and the changes happening mm-hmm. in people's lives. And I really admire that a lot because it is so critical. Oh, thank so, you. So critical. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's, I was actually complaining to my wife earlier because at times i feel like i'm just talking about stuff as opposed to yeah. actually okay. going out like doing it and you feel like okay. a complete fraud i totally get it i i cannot express to everyone how draining it is for an extreme extrovert to just be sit in a quiet room for three hours it is death for me and it just um yeah man, i don't know oh god i gotta be really really careful here um what am I trying to say? The quiet room for three hours. That's your office. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think you're in the wrong job or is this just the part of the job that, because no one has a job they love mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Is this the part of the job that sucks so you can get to the part of the job you love? I, I do. I, I I do. There are times when I, 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 re, I really truly do. You know, and I had this thought tonight where I was like, you know, what's the greatest thing that like you can do for another person? And, my first thought, like my little like organizational thought is like play to your strengths. And and that's true. And that's true. And my strengths are like being with people and being in a group and being, I'm a very like, um, I'm not a creative person as in like an, the artsy type. I'm more creative in, in the sense where like, if I see some type of like a need or a problem, I love to fix it. I love to think about like, I love to like analyze it, like talk about it with, with people and come up with like real things we can do and like put it into action. I love that. That's like the highest of highs. And that's definitely a part of like what I do. That's a real, real part, but an even higher part. And this is what I kind of realized, like what's the greatest thing that like a, you know, like that a person can do is like lie down their life. And so for me, and I was like, you know, like that's a, best thing i can do for the adults that i serve is just die to myself and like lie down lie down my life in the sense of if i have to be in a quiet room for three hours that's what that means you know and it's just tough because you get a lot of things where and this isn't like why well, i get sorry i don't i, I want to use the example of at least like breckenmeyer um i'm sure that she's very nice and we had a great childhood she was so cool so I'm, I'm not trying to like put her down at all but like when you have people who are involved in these like national things when they want to come and do stuff and this i'm not this is not saying this is what like she means but it's sometimes where i think people like me with my type of person i have a bit of a, a version of that because it's like you want to come and do the ministry not do any of the work like you want us to take care of all the crap that sucks so you can go and just be with all of the people and that's like that's really hard 
like like last night was probably one of the best nights I've ever had with in my ministry because I was able to like give like a really quick talk and I was just with I was with own people the whole time and, and it was great. And those things are so few and far between that it's really hard to like keep that uh, momentum going. I don't know if I'm painting a good enough picture or not. <laughs> I think you keep putting yourself in jobs where you're not with people. Um, I don't know if that's... Oh, no, 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 no. Let me, let me rephrase that. I think you're currently in a job where you're... I mean, if you need to be with people all the time, you need to get out of a diocese. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. That, and that's where I'm having like a little bit of this struggle with is like, I love this. I love the diocese. I love what I'm doing. I love where we are going. It's just like sometimes I'm like, man, this is hard. Like this is so. Um, like again, like last night we did this group. Just, just to paint a picture for people, one time Luke. So Luke travels most of the days when he's instead of being in his office. Maybe your experience of a diocesan person is they just hide out in their office. Luke is going to the four corners of his very long diocese and meeting with people and praying with them and talking with them and hanging out. And he does events and all that stuff. So Luke is often around people. But just to paint you a picture of how miserable he gets, <laughs> one day he literally just shot a video of him for a, for like a minute typing on a computer in his office quietly by himself. And he said, yep, this is what I'm doing. And I'm watching this video. And I'm like, what's going on? What am I missing? Like he's at work. He's in an office. I don't understand. And then it was, Luke was just trying to point out how no one was around him. And he was typing on a computer. And I was like... Yeah, that's what you do like 80% of the time. We're knowledge workers. Our job consists of, what do I do for a living? Let's let Mr. Email tell me what my day's going to be <laughs> yeah. like. Like, that is literally what we do. <laughs> and, and I'm always shocked to find, but this is you. Like, I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. You, I am an introvert compared to you. Yeah, I'm, I get pretty, yeah. L let me put it this way. Now, I have absolutely grown up from this point in time but eh. when i was 12 years old i had i like had like a birthday party where a bunch of my friends spent the night and i had so much fun that the next night when when everyone was back home i cried because <laughs> i just felt so empty <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i've been there i've been there luke <laughs> yeah and it's so it's just it's one of you know and i and i really and i um I, 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 this, this is not me trying to crap on my job at all. Please don't think that I really love when it's good. It's amazing. Like I just, I, at times I just get brought to tears almost like thinking about how, like when it's great, but it's just so the nature of this kind of work can be just really difficult, you know, and, um, really difficult for you because you're such an extrovert and there's so many introverted things you have yeah, to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it, um, but I, I, I think it definitely is, but it, it is, but it's, I think it is difficult for a lot of people because you feel so removed and it's kind of weird because for the most part, people see you as being one of two things. You're just a person who can help communicate stuff on a mass scale, which is, which is absolutely true. And you're a person who can help plan the events that, that they want to do. And because you have the resources to kind of make these big things happen, but you're the one who's, who is responsible for those things. So if I want to put on a conference, my best skill is probably going to be used in one of like two ways. One is just to kind of create the ideas for it and either like give a talk or MC, just something that gets people very excited for that. 
And but but when you're responsible for all of the, the resources, you're spending the bulk of your time going. Do we have enough water? Who's going to order the buses? Like like all of these different things. And it's just, and it's uh, like wow, that's so challenging. Like and that's where the the event planning part really comes in, and it's just tough. I was talking with a guy uh, who was at a diocese that I was giving a bunch of talks for, and he was driving me around. And I said, <laughs> at one point, he's just talking, and I go, "You sir, seem unhappy in your diocesan job." And he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'd say I'm unhappy. Like, isn't this the dream job? Like, I'm at the height. And I was like, buddy, this ain't a corporate ladder where you go from parish to diocese. Everyone seems to think that. They're two totally Mm -hmm. different things, Mm -hmm. right? It's like going from legal to operations. They're just two totally different things within a, a corporation or within a business or whatever. Like, you have to get out of that mindset to think, oh, I'll climb the parish ladder and then I'll go corporate where I become a diocese. No, that is not how it works. And I said to him, it seems to me like you like people and not event planning. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I hate event planning. And I was like, yeah, that's all you do. And he's like, it's all I do. I was like, go become a youth minister at a parish again. You'll be happy. Yeah, and you know, and it's tough because sometimes I sit there and, like, like I really think without this podcast, it's, it's, it's really weird. I work with some great people. I, I love so many of the people that I, that I work with, and I love what we are, what we are doing and but it's just, uh, you know, you're, you, you don't have, for as much uh, resources as you have, you don't really have enough to do what you really want to do or what you really could do or, or what really is going to make the biggest impact. So you're having to wear so, so many hats. And uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if we really, really, I don't, like, what's the point of a, of, of a diocese? You know, and sometimes I wonder, like, we should really, that's kind of what I'm hoping when we're at this thing next, next, next week out in DC, I want to have that conversation. Like what, like, what is the point? Like, are, are we really just a thing where people can come in and do their big, you know, cause I get like emails all the time, like come and like have this film, come and have this person speak, come and have this band, come and have, oh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and it's, totally. it's just like, ow, oh, I'm like, I think I've actually probably have screwed up and awesome good opportunities because i've just gone i can't do that i I, i'll just like you know it just it like and it sucks like that like that's on me like i should probably be a little bit more proactive about that but it's weird man would you be mad at me if i told you that you should be more proactive about that stuff because that's your job well that's the thing like is it yeah but like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in a lot of ways it is like you're a diocesan employee you're not expected to engage co- but, but you're okay so let me back this up there are different ways different dioceses do things because parishes don't have young adult ministry for the most part it falls upon the diocesan office to do stuff now your diocesan office is different than my diocesan office my diocesan office is they uh, she it's one person for the most part she does a handful of events, but she does the thing that you're saying you don't want to do. That is 90% of the work of our diocese, mm-hmm. uh, of our diocese and the things they do. They just bring in big name speakers, host them at different events around the diocese, whatever it is. And that's, and I, I can go there and because I know her, like we're, we're friendly and we'll be together next week. Mm-hmm. She invited me. Um, but other than that, like I have, 
Like, there's not these intimate things that you guys did, like where we did our live Catching Foxes episode in Cincinnati, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, When we did that, uh, there's nothing like that where, like, that would be a parish thing. Yeah. Like, a lot of the things I do definitely have a little bit more of that kind of a feel. And so uh, I'm trying to see, so how do we do this on a mass? Because, you know, again, when you're in a diocese, ours is very, very spread out. you know, and, and, and like, like what diocese isn't, but um, probably like, probably like Brooklyn's probably the only one um, in Manhattan. Um, any of the New York City ones. But anyways, uh, <laughs> you know, it's so it's more like, can I do like tons of really small things all over the place in a way that because like I kind of look at like I kind of I try to view my job as doing the things that that what can I do that, you know, parishes can't do. And so sometimes that is the more like large scale things, and, and we do have that. But I think what I've the approach that I've kind of taken is well, parishes don't have me. So like, what other stuff that I would want? Like, what, like what do I want to do? Like, what could God be calling? What could God be calling me to do? And I'm trying to wrestle. So that's why like I have more of these small like one off things or small things that happen on somewhat of. Like regular basis, but they are are more like regional in uh, their aim. You just need to do a big city parish and be the young adult coordinator. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know where I'm, and we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, no, I I would love to be at at a, at a parish that like, I mean, I'm not saying I want to go do parish work, but I I do I'm kind of I do wonder what it'd be like to be at a parish like yours. That has like a you've got a lot of people there, you've got the resources to do some really cool things. We just finished our staff retreat. We had a offsite mm-hmm. for just our department, and just our department was fifteen or sixteen people. Mm. Yeah, and I love I love hearing that. I love I love all that that has to do. I love being at a big parish. Now, if I were at a small parish, it would be a totally different dynamic. It's not that I would hate that, but what I do hate is Excel spreadsheets. And being at a big parish means I have a part-time assistant. Yeah. And she does all that stuff. Yeah. I'm, it is just me right now doing all of that. Oh, yeah. No, that, that's so, that is a fire extinguisher on the human heart there. <laughs> For yeah. all of us social butterflies, uh, firing up the old Excel is like, well... I guess I'm going to key in some uh, email addresses for the next 20 minutes. And then uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll take a, I'll stand up. I'll get an alert in my Apple watch to stand because I've been sitting for so long looking at a series of cells. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. yeah, I'm at like my happiest when I'm hanging out with my core team and we're just like praying together or like we had a great event last, last night. People were just hanging out, having a drink, you know, it just, we had a really, it was just very cool cool experience and that's great just uh, sorry i don't want to turn this into like a softer like pity me everyone pity me well you're doing a damn good job of it now so you, you at your happiness happiest is is you drinking with other people <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but yeah it's just it's it's just it's it's very it's i, I think one part too about being in 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 a position like this and this could be part of my problem like perhaps i do need to you know, say, hey, look, look, like, while you're here, you're doing the big stuff. And the best thing that you can do right now is just 
die to yourself for the people that you're here to serve. Um, you know, like kind of like it's like public Benedict's image was, uh, I think he had like a bear or something. That's kind of like the point of just being the bear who just, uh, like clears the road. He had everyone. a bear and an Ethiopian queen. Yeah. Hmm. He's such mm-hmm. a mystery in a really great way. Yeah. 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 So anyways, I apologize. I really hope that no one performing work is hearing this going, Luke hates his job or hates this. That's not true. It's just trying to come to terms with like what we're doing. And I think it's important to have these conversations because, uh, uh, I just think people need to know and we need to talk about this, this stuff. And if it's true that like, well, I just had a conversation. I just had a conversation with a, a coworker and, uh, Sounded to me like he was a little bit nervous about what his job would entail Mm -hmm. because the bulk of what his job would entail is precisely the thing that he does not want to do and has not been doing for most of his life in his preparation, right? He wants to be a teacher, and he's not the type of person you want behind a desk managing papers. Mm -hmm. He's the kind of guy you want in front of a crowd or behind a book learning and typing and writing and doing all that good stuff. And so I said, uh, I said to him, I said, you know, the reality is I do 80% of the, of my job is I shouldn't say 80%, maybe it's less than that, but there's a whole chunk of my job that I'm doing that I do not want to do. Mm -hmm. It is, it is, it is definitely over the 50% line, but it affords me the opportunity to do the 20%, the 40%, the 40%. 9.999% stuff that I get to do that I love to do, you know, that I'm, I'm just enamored of, right. The things that drive me, the things that drive me, giving talks, leading people to scripture, leading people through, through RCI, that stuff drives me. Right. Mm-hmm. I love doing all that. So I love reading and researching and, and people arguing with me from their neo Calvinistic background. Guys, I'm telling you Calvinism on the rise, like never before. What is it, Switzerland in the 1600s? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but honestly, honestly, like, that's the stuff I love. I just did a whole – so here's a great story, Luke. I told the story of me and Shannon's multiple breakups and then our eventual getting back together. And then uh, I went into a Theology of the Body class for my RCIA group just as a Bible study was getting out in the classroom right next to ours filled with elderly people. And as I'm talking about all of this stuff, I'm speaking very loudly from the front of the room, and there's a door right off to my right that is wide open because I never shut the door because it's so hot. And as I'm giving my talk, I mention words like orgasm, and then I realize (laughs) that the door is wide open, and I said it so loud, (laughs) not thinking, and I stop after I finish the word orgasm, and I just start dying laughing as there is a group of people right outside the door. And, like, this one girl was like, oh, no, a guy just stopped when you said that. And, oh, it was perfect. I live for those moments. I live for those moments. I die when it comes to politics. I die when it comes to fussy adults who think you're the enemy because you have a different opinion. Mm. Like, that's what, that's what you deal with in the parish life. And people don't understand this. When you want to do something for the Catholic Church, you have three major options. You have three major options. Option number one, nonprofit. Option number two, parish life. Option number three, diocesan life. And you have to discern those three. 
because chances are working in a nonprofit, you're there with very, very like-minded people. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a ministry like a net or a focus and you're all kind of on the same page for the most part, you join an organization like that because of its mission. And when you join a parish, which is most people's default, which it shouldn't be, the nonprofit should be the default. When you join a parish, most parishes don't even have a mission. Their mission is keep the lights on. Their mission is do whatever it takes. We'll do six more bake sales if that's what it takes to keep the lights on. Like, that's, that's the mission of the parish in so many ways. Right, yes, we'll give the Eucharist away, but we will beg and guilt trip them to give us money so that we can keep the lights on. So being in a parish, you're dealing with layers and layers of, of lukewarmness. And you would think that when you go to the diocese, bless you, bless your heart, in the diocesan level, the, you think that the cream of the crop of the parish goes up there. But that's not all, that's not at all what happens in all, the, in, in all cases. Some cases it is. I know a guy who was actively recruited and promoted and came into the diocesan life and was a very successful, um, I think it was youth and, young, youth and young adult, Chris Bartlett out in Austin. And then he went back to the parish life, which you don't really think of that, that move too often. But he was like, I, I got to be around people. Like, I can't do this anymore. And if you're at a parish where you're in sync with, like, your boss or your pastor, in my case, I have a couple layers of leadership above me, um, but, or between me and my pastor, I have a layer. Um, so if, if you're kind of, like, on the same page, then things are really moving and shaking. You know, like, you can do it. You can deal with the politics. You can deal with the BS. And it's very rewarding. If you have a whole team that you're all dedicated to the mission of evangelization, then that's awesome. Then you can weather any storm for the most part, you know. Um, but but in diocesan life, if 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 it's not mission driven, it's dragging, and I can't. Ugh. Ugh. But you're lucky. You you got a, at least one coworker. Yeah, that you that you're simpatico with. I'm sure a bunch of others. Oh yeah, no, we have a lot of. Um, we're getting some really good people. I'm actually very excited to see what we could do. We're getting some really great. I'm. Very excited for the future. Would you say that it has affected the culture of your diocesan office, these people with the mindset that you like? Or would you say that it's kind of like a, a subculture? Right now it's a subculture, but it is starting to make some bigger impact in terms of the broader culture as well. The beautiful thing about movements is you never need a majority to change the culture. Yeah. Yeah, because the majority of work is not done by the majority of people. It's the old Kodak eighty twenty rule. I mean, you get twenty percent, you own, you own a church. You get twenty percent of the people who believe in the missionary identity of the church. You have changed the church. Yeah, you you know that's Sherry Waddell's thing. She's like probably five percent of people at parishes are intentional disciples. Spend the next five years doubling that number. And then the next five years doubling that number, you're good. Not not to say you're good, you're done, but that 20% will effectively change your culture because they'll, they'll do 80% of the work. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's just, it's it's weird too when you're at a diocese because you just, you really, um, you have such an eclectic mix of people. You know, you have baby boomers, you have even people part of, of uh, gosh, what's the name of, the generation above 
baby the boomers. silent yeah. generation. So have, yeah, sorry. I was like, it's S something. And not so, yeah. You, Sexy? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, you definitely have to see if even have some people that are still kind of tied into more of the silent generation. And um, that's by far not the norm, but it's still there. And you, and you have people that have been there for, you know, there are some people who have been there since I was born. Like, it's just, it's kind of crazy and so you all have to learn how to like like work um work together so well like some people still do email or they still want to like you know like send things through intra-office mail i'm like can we all just go to slack <laughs> and, so, and you're talking 30 years of difference in terms of how they want to communicate and how do you do that in a place that's you know, so heavily bureaucratic because it because it has to be because that's what it is. Um, it's tough. It's tough. It's really, really. You know, and I've I've had to. I know it's been more. I think there's always this attitude with the young people, like we're going to show them. And I've had to. I've gotten my butt checked so many times where I'm like, no, I need to like check myself and you know really humble myself and figure out like how can I serve here? Like really, like what can? How am I a part of this problem? You know, and and, and I don't mean. The problem in a bad way. I just mean like the natural conflict that's going to occur in a workplace or in a place where anywhere where like you have a group of people trying to do a thing together. There's going to be conflict. It's actually it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Like good things come out of conflict. Like birth is like a violent experience to a certain extent, you know, and that's. Like great things can come out of hard things. I mean, look at the cross. That's a brutal thing. Um, but I, you know, having to, to ask uh, on myself just because I think that like Slack is better um, doesn't mean that because I might be be like right if my uh, is it like it's it's not so much about the answer as it is the approach. And so, like one of the things that I've really had to learn this past couple of weeks, actually, probably it's been more the past couple of months, is just like really how to communicate with people in a way that actually works. And it's not inherently obvious, I think. It's not because we all want to communicate on our own terms. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Like, like that's my problem with the five love languages, right? Like, the five love languages, right, of physical touch and quality time and words of affirmation and the others, the acts of service and something else. Um, all of these things are great. And it's there's one dominant way that you give love, one dominant way that you receive love. And we try to make it to where these acts of service are done for each other in a way that, or you know, the way we show love is the way that the other person wants to receive it. But then there is this inherent selfishness of being like, I need you to love me the exact way I want to be loved all the time. Now, it's not what Gary Chapman's saying, but that is a way that comes across, right? Where it's not just about giving people what you want them or to receive how you want it, right? But also to give how they need it, mm -hmm. right? But then there comes a point where everyone just has to die to themselves in order to get the dang football across the goal line, right? Like... I, I'm sorry, but everyone's argument against Slack is wrong. I know. <laughs> like Slack is a tool that'll cut your email in half and the conversations you have will be 10 times better. Pay for the damn Slack. Don't get the just the free version so you can do full search, archive all your old messages, store unlimited documents there. It's great. It's not a stand. 
it's not good just being your only thing, but for internal communication, there is nothing better than Slack that's out there. I agree. There are plenty of stuff. There are plenty of stuff. I mean, there might be a competitor or whatever, but that type of thing, a social network for within your group has changed everything. I can send a one sentence email and people treat it like a text message and not like an email. Cause when you treat a one, when you get a one sentence email, you're like, wow, this guy's kind of a jerk. Study after study shows we read way more into emails than we do text messages, and Slack leveraged both. Hey, here's a post. A bunch of people comment on the post. Oh, that's wonderful. We just got a project finished because a bunch of people commented on a damn post. Yeah. And, and when you get a new person, all you do is bring them into the Slack and then open them up into the group. Hey, this is our RCIA liturgy page. Welcome to this group. Here's all the email, all the um, communications about it. Oh, and look at that. All the files from last year are right here. Mm-hmm. You just have to take the files and put the new names on there. And boom, we're done with the whole liturgy. Let's dance and drink. <laughs> and Luke is back in the game. We have streamers. Um, and, you know, like in my heart of hearts, what I love to do, and this is why I think I really like part of the, um, my job within a diocese that I really do love. And who knows which diocese? Um, the diocese of since <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> Luke. It's not like everyone who <laughs> listens doesn't know. Even people who this is their first time, they're like, why is he talking about the Archdiocese of Patty so much? Um, in my heart of hearts, I love going to an organization that is broken and trying to, like, get the ship back up. I love it. It's just I am so happy when the building's on fire. Slack is probably, I would take a couple of months, but it'd be the, one of the first. If they didn't have it, it'd be one of the first things that I would do. I'm like, this is going to change everyone. This is going to blow everyone's world. Here you go. And there are GIFs, everyone. GIFs. Oh, my gosh. It's to the point where it's annoying me now, but still, I am morally compelled to send animated GIFs to everyone. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. Here's Snoop Dogg giving you a good job look. Yeah, no, I've sent that one. His head is nodding. Do you, th- you don't think I threw my diocese under the bus doing this with stuff that I said? Do you- uh, no, not today. Not today. <laughs> no, because I, I really, I, I, I'm not. I, it's, it's a, I, I, and I don't, I don't mean to. It's a common circle with a lot of people who work at diocese, and I think, I think you might have a point. Like, we might just have to like bite this pill and say, yeah, like this job is more about event planning than anything else. And, um, you know, that's, I don't know. It's, it's important that we have these conversations because I think as the church continues to decline, let's be very honest here, um, as a whole. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know this, but we are winning the nuns back. <laughs> sure we are. Hey, guys, it's Luke. I'm here to tell you about another great sponsor we have. It's the return of the Liturgical Institute. Our fine friends at the Liturgical Institute said, hey, guys, your ad stuff that you did for us with our Transfiguration conference was fantastic. So we want you to do more. And we said, sure, we're good like that. So I'm here to talk to you guys a bit about the about what are the different academic programs offered by the Liturgical Institute. And their first is they just have a basic like Master of Arts in 
the liturgy, and they also have a really cool part-time summer program that that is both in June and in July. So if you don't want to go to school full full time, you, you can attend during the summer as well. Really, few quick facts about the Liturgical Institute: one hundred percent of their graduates are currently working in a field related to their degree, like any good on the graduate program. This is a great opportunity to really build like relationships with, with people in your field that will last for it. Like last time, if it, it's kind of been on your heart to maybe, um, to maybe explore how you can dive into like liturgy from an academic standpoint and perhaps even, I'll, even, I'll, even I'll make it your career. If God's put that on your heart, this is your sign. You're welcome. So go to the liturgicalinstitute.org slash CF on your internet browser of choice, which is probably your phone. Let's be honest, you're a millennial. Thanks to our friends at the Liturgical Institute for sponsoring Catching Foxes. Let me tell you, sitting in a park in Philadelphia has convinced and convicted me that we are nowhere near that. <laughs> I know. Like, literally, people, people young and old, don't give me the shit that the nuns are 18 to 35-year-olds. The nuns are older than the nuns that taught you in elementary school. They are, all, they are middle-aged professionals. They are Gen Xers and yuppies and baby boomers, and they don't give a crap about the church except that the church is a pedophile institution filled with corrupt old white men who are ruining the world. That is literally their opinion. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, there's some cool art. Let's go to the Met Gala. Like, I watched Jimmy Fallon explain the Catholic imagination side of it on on, um, The Tonight Show. And it's like he couldn't even say the word Catholic. And when he did, everyone just started laughing. Mm-hmm. Like they're like Catholic imagination or something, ah, ah, ah. and like it was so uncomfortable. Uh, it was the uh, the theme was uh, heavenly bodies, so it was like fashion inspired by the Catholic imagination. Uh, <laughs> Catholic imagination. I, I had a very very. I think that was the theme, something like that. I think. Uh, and he's talking about you know like seeing monks chanting, and he's doing the chant. He's like, oh, it was so weird. It was. At one point, he's like, it was uh, cool. And then Madonna was one of the monks, and then she started singing like a prayer. Right, right, right. So, you know, it, I, I don't, I can understand uh, the Archdiocese of New York and the Vatican sending art to the Met for this event, but they are not going to honor anything there. It's just crazy. So, um, but this, this whole notion, like, they, our culture, our culture has so, like, this is what I want people to understand. Our culture just the church on the street is a thing you drive by and you wonder why it's still open. And when it closes, they're like, was there like a movie theater there? <laughs> what was there? Oh, now it's now it's a concert venue hall. Cool. Yeah. Or a bar. You are you are not on anyone's radar. If you stop thinking like, oh, 60% or 50% of the people in our community are Christian. No, they're not. No, they're not. Yeah. Stop. Like, when I went to that Me Without You concert, I was like, oh, so this is where people are. <laughs> this is where this is where literally yeah. hundreds of emo, goth kids, young adults are going. This is, My people. These are literally the people supporting the entire cigarette industry. <laughs> they are here smoking 57 packs while waiting in line. But they will – I mean, these people will not go to church. Yeah. I've, I've often tried to bring up the, the idea to 
people that we are and afterthought. And it wasn't met well. It was not, uh, it was not well received, which could have been on how I put it because I tend to be a little dramatic. But what? You be dramatic? I don't think that's a... I know, right? Crazy. But like, there are some. I know. Sorry, I, I'm now. I'm like terrified that I like made my that I made my um, player sound bad. Um, like, we have a great archbishop. We have great people on staff. There are great people doing really great things. What I want to insert now is the that like the horn, uh, the little bell of a bicycle, mm-hmm. and I want to imply that you're backpedaling. Go on. <laughs> no, because no, I'm not. I'm not saying anything. it's not like that. It's just the, it's just the nature of that t- kind of job. Well, Aaron, we didn't realize Luke hated having life insurance that much or health insurance <laughs> that much. Oh, this is not where I wanted it to go, but it's probably where it needed to. All right, well, here we go. Avengers. <laughs> One week later. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, it's 50 minutes in, Luke. Do you need to take a breath? Should we change the subject? Should I don't know. I put on the webcam. <laughs> uh, all of them. <laughs> I didn't want to do this. I told you. Uh, man. Um, gosh. Do you think I – no, like, honestly, do, like, should I be worried? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll re-listen to the talk and then end up going with last week's episode anyway. Okay. If it's – like, seriously, if it's really bad, I would really – you'd rather do that and put it on Patreon. Honestly, I, I can't I can't afford, like, anything to go bad right now. I really can't. I'm gonna lo- I'll just have a mental breakdown. Oh, Luke. Luke, my you know, poor broken what, Luke. Yeah. Aren't you quitting in a couple of years anyway? Because you're too old yeah. for this ministry. I've been pretty honest about that with a lot of people, I, and I think they all kind of see like, yeah, it's, yeah, you're old as shit. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, like it's just I think it should be peer to peer. So, hi, I'm Troy McClure, and I'm a hip young adult. I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from such things as the Righteous Bee con- concert and Radix. <laughs> Yeah, man. When one of the things that I was thinking is um, there is so much money to be made off a dying carcass. Like hmm. when you're when you're the church and you're an organization that's dying, you will tend to throw your money and resources into things that make you feel like you're not dying. You Ooh, throw your money and resources right into things that make you feel. Yeah. That that put, puts lipstick and makeup on a corpse. Like that is what we are doing in so much of the. Like I think of. Okay, well, I mean, I'll put it this way: I think of hosting events or spending money on programs that only speak to the highly educated Catholic is where the vast majority of the money is to be made, and that's the vast majority of where our marketing efforts go to. Hmm. Uh, That's where, I mean, like, think about this. If you're, let's say, uh, a professor or a professional speaker, and you're going to record a series for a church, right? Like, you're going to come at it from the lens by which you live your life, your charism, the way you view the world, the people you surround yourself with. And chances are, if you're a devout Roman Catholic professor, you're surrounding yourself with other devout Roman Catholics and you're going to give presentations for devout Roman Catholics because you don't know how to give presentations otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like Dr. Hahn used to always talk about how shocked he was that there was no evangelization ministry on campus. 
Like there was no outreach that was just like, I'm going to the streets. And I mean, there is now, but there wasn't when I was there other than the homeless ministry outreach. Like that was it. And it wasn't an evangel- it like was a that, social justice yeah, thing. It more was just in the form of like do like a one-off retreat for for a youth group or yeah, yeah. something. And, and I did those. That's, yeah, that was a, one of the ministries that I did sent. And, um, and he used to talk about when he was at, I think it was Gordon Conwell College or whatever, um, this Calvinist school that he went to, like it was like a part of the culture of freshmen to senior undergrads were outreach to local events. And like you were, you just had to belong to a local youth group where you're working with kids and you're doing young life. And Dr. Han was involved in young life and all this stuff. And, you know, like, and you hear all that, like those before he became a professor, but we don't get that. We get the professorial stuff, right? Well, and I think there's, yeah. And it, um, but that, what I'm talking about is the culture, right? That's what I mean. It's like, this is the culture of the people who are doing the presentations. This is the culture of the people who we gear it towards. And this is the people who are buying this stuff. I was telling someone the other day, they were like, why do you want to have Alpha at your church? And I just said, because we have to host stuff for atheists because atheists aren't going to buy a Bible study. <laughs> like, like, we have to go out of our way to invite them to a, a neutral ground. Yeah. Because otherwise, their next, number one, their Catholic neighbor isn't going to say anything unless he's one of my homeboys named Dave who evangelizes men in the locker room at a country club. And it's amazing. But unless we're like that, so gung-ho, uh, the people will never hear it. So it's like, all right, now the church has to be the basic evangelization. Church wasn't supposed to be the home of basic evangelization. It was supposed to be the home of sacramental nourishment and catechesis to send you out to do basic evangelization because you're lay people, but you're not doing your job. So we'll just, it'll be another program that we host. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, this, is, this is why I really like the thing that I did last night because it was such a thing that was rooted in our um, like human experience. Uh, long long story short, we ha- I, I have a, like a really good buddy of mine who actually um, listens to, to the podcast. So hi Jack, hi Jack. He's a great bard, I'm tender, sure, and he taught people how to make a, like an, a really good old fashioned. And I went into the true, the good, the beautiful, and we, and then he had and he added some stuff too about and how it's really like a great opportunity to be for the other and to like receive like to receive like beauty and goodness and how that like opens us up to like the good that's in the world and like you know ultimately God and also it allows us to be for the other and he went to like the hospitality part and it was just we just like made everyone just made old like old fashions and we hung out and talked about cocktails and God. Like it was, and it was, it was incredible, but to some, they might say that's the most pointless thing ever, or that's extremely, that's not as important as doing it, it like Bible study. And I just, and to me, why I want to do things like that, even on a small scale is because that's where like, like the faith gets lost because it's so isolated now because of the anima technique of vac, vacua, put on your, uh, tinfoil hats everybody one part that we forget about that is it's not just that like grace isn't a part like nature but it's that we have like isolated grace and so one thing that i really like want to do is show how like like where how the faith does impact our everyday life in concrete ways our our like only our uh, only humanity and um you know there's no and i think that's not 
And I, I think what you're getting at, like the problem with where a lot of things that we do are just very academic or they're just people trying to preach to the choir, it's because grace has just been isolated and we've accepted that and it's not bearing fruit. It's just, it's like really just kind of like, like a, like a weird self perpetuating thing. In my opinion, anyways, I don't know. I could pull. I mean, you are, but maybe not on this part. Yeah, yeah. This is why I really am intrigued by the by the whole like, website idea that I sent you, because I want to see more like stuff out there that really just talks about like everyday like normal things. This is why the this is why the art of manliness is one of the most important blogs out there. Like to me, they're way more important than almost anything that the church has done on a mass scale like that in the past 10, 10, uh, 10 years or 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 so. Yeah. Besides our podcast. Yeah. The three most important things the Roman Catholic Church has done in the last 10 or 15 years is A, converted Sherry Waddell and let her publish books. B, catching foxes. I think we all agree. Catching. And C, whatever some mysterious Catholic publishing company is up to. No comment. No comment. <laughs> I have no comment. You're not. You're just laughing because you think, wow, Gomer's voice is so funny. But you don't have any information. Oh, no, no. Mm-hmm. No. So, Luke, how about this new Google voice assistant that sounds like a human on the phone? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, what Luke, if about. I were to tell you that this entire conversation you and I have had, you've actually been talking to a machine robot the entire time and you couldn't tell, how would you, fe- how would you feel? I'd say, take me away, Anima Technica Vacua. Take me away. Well, okay, so... There was a demonstration at Google's I.O. conference yesterday. Okay, now get this. It was a phone call that wasn't made by a human, but a Google assistant talking with a human. And the human caller didn't know he was talking to an A.I. The computer voice did not sound like a computer. And in fact, periodically it would go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and things like that. And it would ask all the right questions, pausing, all of that stuff. What do you think about that, Luke? Do you think that's dishonest if they don't tell you that you're talking to a machine? Ooh. Um. Let's say it sounds 100% like a human, right? So not like Siri, which is, which is trash. This is some weird Westworld yeah. stuff. But, but it's <laughs> happening now, and it's only going to get more, okay? It's only going to get more. Yeah. We're going to have more anima technia, <laughs> technica vacua life, okay? We are going to be interacting with bots more than humans in customer service. I think if you really don't know, I think if I, 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 I think if people are trying to deceive you, or, or perhaps not even deceive but surprise you, I think that's crossing a little bit of a, a little bit of a line. It just feels like it just kind of um, takes away a bit of uh, humanity. Like I have no, I don't have any issues with it. If it's, I mean, besides the fact that I don't know, like taking a lot of people out of work. Um, so it's a whole other chat, um, a whole other conversation. But if you think you're talking to, if 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 they're trying to fool you into into thinking that you're talking to a person, that's uh, something about that doesn't sit right. Is with it you. any different than you talking to a guy in, in the Philippines who understands English but wants to can't speak it clearly, and so he has a a computer program where he touches boxes and it has prescripted American voices responding, and he just knows which ones to click. Isn't that funny? It's like, uh, I have a problem with my dishwasher. 
and then he pushes a button. Okay, sir, have you tried this? Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely tried that. Okay, well, do you have a local server? And it's not even the guy talking at all. You're just pushing buttons. Yeah, I don't just. I what? Okay, so those are great tools. I can see how tools like that can be very helpful, but tools work both ways. Like they like they impact the person who uh, who uses them as well. And my concern with things like that is it just. It, that'll continue to isolate us and we just become cogs in a machine. Which has already kind of happened. Yeah. But I'm just worried this, this, that it's going to get worse. I mean, this has been happening. This has been a this has been a huge concern to people since the second industrial like revolution and stuff. Is that like we've reduced men to just like people who, who like, uh, who, like, you know, who uh, work in like a factory and just like hit a button all day. And that's it. They're not... Like, does that really honor someone like dignity as a person? Yeah. Mm. I, and I'm not trying to say that that's bad work or anyone like who does that is a bad person. That's not, I'm, I'm just saying like, this, is that like when, if, when, when people just become no different than a cog in a, a machine, if that's how we view them, like if we view people as assets, I, I, I hate that. I, I hate that. I, I get why, why I get why people do, but I, I can't stand it when they call them that because like they're not assets, they're human beings. I am excited for about 90% of our robotic overlords. It's the 10% where they <laughs> kill us that I'm not excited about. Like, I really do think, well, I, I really I do think, like, I don't think, here's the deal. Like, people talk about the singularity, which is when computer processing power achieves this point where the computer itself will be able to write its own code better than any human can, and it'll begin to essentially evolve in seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Not 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 millennia where it, and, it, it, it's it's able to be completely uh, uh, um autonomous and just do it yes own but thing. i still i here's the catholic in me would say but it might still not be conscious even though it's become a robot overlord like we all want everyone to be commander data from like star trek right or the you know like it's not that it's conscious it's just that it's implementing this program Right. It's implementing its program. Right. Mm-hmm. So it could destroy the whole world unknowingly. Like that's one of the things that people are talking about. They're like, listen, once you have a super intelligence, it doesn't have to literally be conscious to destroy the world. You could give it a problem to solve. That's insane. Uh, but, it, you know, this computational power could do it. But it realizes it needs half the human resources in order to do it. So it just shuts down the power grid and people die in hospitals and all that stuff. And it's not like it's a it's it's Skynet becoming self-aware, right? Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. In- it's just the computing power is too much for our puny brains to, uh, uh, you know, deal. And I think about this all the time because the, my constant temptation to atheism is materialism. Like, there is no soul. There is just the brain. If I poke you here and give you an electric shock there, I can get you to literally have an emotional experience completely independent of anything else. I can get you to have nightmares. I can get you to vomit uncontrollably, you know, all of these things. And uh, it's just fascinating the way, like, um, like obese people. I was just watching this video on obesity because I'm a fat guy, and this guy was talking about there are some people whose metabolic systems are literally reversed. And their bodies, even if they eat 99% the exact same healthy stuff as healthy people, they will never lose weight. 
or their weight will just completely plateau at a very obese level. And there's very little you can do to kind of, you just want them to be healthy and exercise, but their bodies literally will just keep the fat and keep the fat getting huge. And it's like, Oh, you know, like you, you start to like see all these things about how much the body. So we used to call those people gluttons and, you know, shame them and all that stuff. But now we're finding, you know, there's so much more to it that, the sin component is diminished because there's a whole biological substratum that we were never addressing in the first place. We just didn't know about, right? And so you have all of this mm-hmm. stuff like anxieties and depressions and all this stuff to the degree that it exists. We just didn't know about schizophrenia, all these things. And so um, I just think like, I think all the time, like if you had like in 30 years, the type of processing power we'd have, if you had the underground bunker, like in the winter soldier, where we said the worst part of the Winter Soldier is the guy, the ex-Nazi, ex-Hydra scientist. Uh, we didn't say that. Yeah. You said that. I like uh, that Okay. Part. I like the No, I didn't. I thought it was the dumbest thing. That this guy was, his brain was in the memory banks of these 80-year-old computers. Yeah. But you think about this. That part's absurd. Thought I could help their cause. I also helped my own. Right, right, right. But just think about if you had all the computing power in the world and all of it was dedicated to simulate one human brain, could we do that? Like you got all the servers and all this stuff. Could it mm-hmm. simulate, like if every server rack was a neuron and you just made a trillion server racks, could it simulate that? And I think about that and I'm like, oh. <gasps> One day we'll have the super intelligence and it'll destroy us all. Oh, gosh, burn your computer. I see you looking at me, iMac computer. <laughs> see, I, I mean, I'm definitely a bit concerned about that. Obviously, there's like a lot there to un- un- unpack. So let me take the angle I was going to take before you even said all that because I think it's all good. Um, and I may have re-listened to book one and book two of the Robopocalypse series. <laughs> And it is a great series. I, I try to get into it. It is a great series. It is yeah, awesome. I try. You're a bad person. Yeah. Okay, great. You're a bad person. Yeah, that's true. Um, I really did try, but I just like lost interest somewhere back in 2010. Um, I'm more concerned, and, and it's it's not that I don't think that w- what you're saying is not important. It's just this is what I tend uh, to think about when I think about our AI overlords. Is what is that going to do to us? So, like, I've had, I've had this, like, I'm very concerned about what's it going to be like watching sports with virtual reality? And are we going to lose the communal aspect of sports? And what is that going, like, that really, because that's, to me, that's, like, one of the best parts. It's just, like, when you're with, like, a group of people and you are watching a game and you're all, like, experiencing this, like, thing together. And it's, it's why I'm bummed that, the U.S. isn't in the World Cup. Part is because I just like I love the experience, but it's that we are like robbed of this thing of all of us being into this one team for two weeks because we'll be out after the group stage. Um, that's just a bummer. Uh, and when you replace sports, if you replace the, the the aspect around it, like you know the thing about we've 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 pretty much now have replaced stadiums with TVs for the most part. Um. And then what comes next? So now you're having what was once an experience I had with twenty like thousand people is now what I'm having with like my my like only family or perhaps like a dozen uh, people or or so. So then what happens when this experience becomes just like 
it's just me. And that's kind of sad, I think. Yeah, but if, yeah, I mean, the the argument of virtual reality is, yeah, it's just you, but it's just like just you on the phone, but it's a better experience. You can watch the game while being on the phone with a buddy. Oh, my gosh, did you just see that? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but that's not the same as being in person. No, but if you trick your brain, your brain will think it is. It's all ones and zeros. There is no God. There is no afterlife. <laughs> there is only the computer. <laughs> I, there's just the anima the <laughs> There is only Intel. So re- actually, their their <laughs> net market share has declined at the rise of the ARM processor for the mobile. They did oh, okay. Anywho, um, so what do you think about these Hawaiian lava flows? I missed oh my. all that. I haven't been. I've been so busy. I missed everything. Right man. now, I I've, I haven't heard about it at all until just now. And I'm watching. I was just bringing up like random while things. while you're talking, and I'm ignoring you. I was just watching uh, Australian news, just lava flowing, just down a street. Can you imagine that? I thought Hurricane Harvey was <laughs> terrifying. Imagine a I, two foot tall wall of lava burning everything. Like I'm watching a light pole. Or electricity pole, That's just crazy. on fire. That's pretty. That actually, so I one time when I was driving through Sacramento, go on, on the <laughs> highway, I dr- kind of drove through a fire. <laughs> In the like, median, a bunch of the grass was on was to the left of me. A bunch of the grass was like on fire, and to the right of me, there was fire as well. And I just drove straight through it, and was like, ha ha. I'm not married, so I have no sense of consequences. Woo! <laughs> I I took a picture and put it on Instagram. <laughs> That's what I like. I was like, "This is cool," and I was, I'm like, "I drove through a fire." Yeah, what the the thing about that that's smart is one time I drove through a flood with my family. That was not smart. I just mm-hmm. had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go, man. I was hemmed in, and I went through high water, and it knocked my car into the oncoming traffic lane. Ooh. There were cars that were, Ooh. yeah. I went, I, I hit the water going 65. I came out. It was just a small section. I came out the other side going about five miles an hour. Holy Yo. cow. I never, I've never heard the uh, story. I think I shared it on the podcast before, but you probably tuned me out. We're playing Minecraft. No, I was not playing. You're probably Minecraft. playing Fortnite. Were you playing <laughs> Fortnite, Luke? I wish. I've heard that's the game that all the kids like. Oh, man. I was watching Joey. Joey Muckenthaler play it, and the whole time I'm thinking, how can I buy an Xbox One? <laughs> I need this in my life. <laughs> I've heard it's great. I, uh, I've heard the new God of War is very cool. I want to be able to play Zelda, though. I really want Zelda. So mm. if, anyone, if anyone wants to give us some Zelda. Oh, crap. I just broke my little handle thing. Okay. <laughs> well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, hey, I do want to tell people that our friends over at Eden Invitation. Yeah. Eden Invitation. They've launched their Patreon. That's awesome. Uh, so go take all your money away from us and give it to them. Uh, Eat Invitation. They are calling people to live beyond the LGBT plus paradigm. Uh, and they they are two wonderful women that have been at the forefront of, you know, they work with Courage. They work with all these amazing groups. But their personal Catholic faith is amazing. And, uh, and yeah, and I, and I, I want to support them as much as humanly possible. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Uh, um, and if you want to support us, we're going to, uh, patreon.com slash CF. Uh, sorry, we haven't put up anything in the past two weeks. Things have been insanely busy. So yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, uh, you know, we love you. 
Even when I'm with my boo, all I think all about, I think is, about you. is you. So I was at the staff retreat, and someone saw my my cell phone, which is a picture of you on my <laughs> on my wall on my lock screen wallpaper, and they go, "Really, Luke? You're married. You have kids. None of them." And I just said, "Well, Luke's my first love." <laughs> I've known him the longest out of all those people. Yeah. <laughs> Especially more than my crummy kids. <laughs> oh, gosh. Am I right? <laughs> kids. Luke and Gomer are super tired. Can you just, like, hang out and not kill each other for, like, 20 minutes? I was up till 4 in the morning drinking. <laughs> Luke, is, he's never really seen you guys, uh, but he's going <laughs> to sleep on the couch because he's hungover. <laughs> that wasn't true. I was just, uh, I was in my early 30s and got no sleep. Sorry, my early, my mid-30s and had no sleep and uh, <laughs> desperately was couldn't see my eyes open. I, I was so tired. I read uh, this story of, uh, yeah, Luke, you got to pick your friends. Do you want to be with my family or do you want to be with a bunch of people you were in college with at a party in a hotel? Never mind. I'm going to lose <laughs> that argument 10 times out of 10. <laughs> no, your kids are awesome. It's just, you know. Jonathan Alexander, who could compete with that? College. Yeah. <laughs> people were literally giving other people tattoos in a hotel room. <laughs> I know. That was so crazy. I remember one point in time, we were out all at the balcony at like 3 in the morning, and someone goes, man, I can't believe that those girls are, uh, that, they're, uh, that they are asleep. And I was like, what? And the, like people were like sleeping in the room, like attached to this to this balcony. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it was, we the, were... <laughs> it was the presidential suite, and so there's all this room space, a huge deluxe balcony, and two bedrooms that flanked either side of it. And you guys were just. I know. I felt so bad. I thought we were all just like, like those poor girls were trying to sleep, and I'm outside going, "You know what we should do is this." <laughs> You know what'll really save the church? (laughs) It's okay. It was just Jonathan's sister. (laughs) God is here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Should we do our ad read? Mm, You do the ad read and send it to me, and then I'll chop it up and do it better. (laughs) 